Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you on the middle of school holidays. Is that right? I think it's the middle of school holidays. For some, uh, that means it's sad because it's nearly the end of school holidays. For others, uh, it's glad because it's nearly the end of school holidays. And we won't try and work out who's who amongst those two options. Um, we're going to continue our series this morning, uh, Truths That Transform. If you don't know me, my name's Tony. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to be leading us through this topic that we're looking at this morning. Uh, this series that we've been doing is all about key truths that you find in God's Word that we believe if they land for us, and I mean really land, not just kind of settle in our heads, but land in our lives, they will transform our experience of God and they will transform the way we live for Him each day. So let me just recap for a minute where we've been. Uh, we've been going now for four, we've had four weeks, this is the fifth week. We started looking at the truth of revelation. That is that the true and living God has not hid himself somewhere in the corner of the universe, but that he has by revelation made himself known to us and to his world, certainly in his creation, but especially and primarily and climactically in the person of Jesus. The second week we looked at Scripture, the truth of Scripture, that, that the true and living God speaks. He speaks. And he's given us his breathed out word. And this word, the Scriptures, they are authoritative in our lives and they are sufficient for all of life. Then we looked at the confronting truth about sin. The truth of our idolatry, our idolatry and our hostility towards God. And that in and of ourselves and left to ourselves, we're actually in slavery to our sin. And that our sin is not just a few mistakes that we make on the odd occasion, but they are devastatingly serious. And then on the back of that last week, we looked at grace. The truth that everything we have, and everything we experience flows from the grace of God, his undeserved blessing or favour poured out on us through Jesus. That our very existence is grace. Our hearts pumping in our chest, our lungs inhaling and exhaling and everything else. And that salvation, of course, is emphatically by grace. Now this week we're looking at the truth uh, known as regeneration or the truth that Jesus spoke of when he said, you must be born again. You must be born again. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the Bible together, a couple of passages. You might like to turn to John chapter 3 to start with, John chapter 3, 1 to 17. And then we're also going to read uh, Titus 3, 1 to 7. So we're going to read the Bible together, we're going to pray and ask that God would be our teacher by his Holy Spirit and then we're going to look at this, this truth, regeneration. So John chapter 3, perhaps familiar to many of you, maybe not to some of you. Uh, it's a great uh, interaction between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus that if you're not familiar with it, I'd encourage you to become more familiar with it. John chapter 3 and verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, 
He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now flip over to Titus. Further up in your New Testament, Timothy, Titus, and chapter 3, and verses 1 to 7. Paul's writing to the Christians there, encouraging them to behave, to function in a certain way in society and so on. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you this morning. We thank you so much that you haven't left in the, in the dark, that you are a God who speaks and you've made yourself known to us, especially in your word and in your son. And so we pray that you would continue to do that even now as we open your word together by your Holy Spirit. That you would give us understanding and see the implications of what you're saying to us. And not only that, but that you would help us to receive your word and to obey it. For Jesus' sake, amen. So the obvious question is this. 
What is regeneration? What is regeneration? Well, I've got a couple of definitions for you uh, that you may or may not think uh, sum it up, but here they are. Here's the first one. Regeneration is the sovereign work of God the Holy Spirit, granting spiritual life to each Christian, raising them from the dead, enabling them to repent and trust in Christ as a new creation. Regeneration is the sovereign work of God, the Holy Spirit, of granting spiritual life to each Christian, raising them from the dead, enabling them to repent and trust in Christ as a new creation. I didn't come up with these, by the way. These are just out of fairly standard theological textbooks. Uh, Here's another one. Regeneration or new birth is an inner recreating of our fallen human nature by the gracious and sovereign act of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration or new birth is an inner recreating of our fallen human nature by the gracious and sovereign action of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think both of those are pretty good definitions of this truth that will transform. However, we are not going to just take my word for it or these definitions for it. We're going to look at what God's word says about it. So let's have a look at those two passages. We're going to start in John 3 first, and then we'll go to Titus a little bit later. And we're going to see two key things, two key realities about generation that God's word shows us. Our need of it, firstly, and God's grace in it, secondly. Our need of it, firstly, and God's grace in it, Secondly, so firstly, our need of God's grace. Sorry, our need of regeneration. So this is in John 3, and it's really clear here in what's one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. It's clear because Jesus makes it clear, our need of it. Uh, You may not know the story, you may not, but as we read it, you will have met a Pharisee named Nicodemus, He is a Pharisee, so he is a, if you like, a professor uh, of the Old Testament. He knows the Bible. He knows it back to front. He knows it cover to cover. He is not only a Pharisee, but he is a ruler of the Jews. So he is in, uh, in top leadership, if you like, amongst the Jewish community. He's a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. He's an upright religious man. He's an upstanding citizen in his community. And if anybody's considered to be a righteous person, a good person, it was Nicodemus. And yet what Jesus says to him completely, I don't know whether you notice, but completely stops him in his tracks. And in actual fact, turns out by the grace of God to completely turn his life around. You can see that later in John's Gospel. You meet him again and he's there helping with the body of Jesus from the cross. But look what, he, look what Jesus says to him that stumps him in verse 2 and 3. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone, anyone, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, notice, thinking that his most pressing need is for more information. 
His most pressing need is for more information. He addresses Jesus uh, looking for more information, but Jesus points out his need that he has is far more than just information. He makes it clear that his need is not for more information. His need is for regeneration. And notice, so look at verse 3. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly doesn't mean that whatever Jesus says outside of that is not true. It just means when he says truly, truly, that what he's about to say is really critical and really vital and really important. Truly, truly, I say to you, if Nicodemus is to make sense of the kingdom of God at all, he will need to be born again. He will need new birth. Unless you are born again, Jesus says, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The word see here is to perceive or to grasp. Unless you have that spiritual life in you, you won't see it. And Nicodemus's response, notice in verse 4, bears that out, doesn't it? What does Nicodemus say? Um, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? He clearly doesn't get it. He clearly doesn't see it and he doesn't perceive it. And so Jesus responds by unpacking further his need, and just by the way, friends, so our need as well, to be born again. Verse 5, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, again, is there. What he's about to say is of critical importance again. What is he saying? Not only do we need to be born again to see or perceive the kingdom of God in Jesus, we need to be born again to enter the kingdom of God by turning to Jesus and trusting in Jesus. Jesus says to Nicodemus that this is his most pressing need. And if that's true for him, I would venture to say it's probably true for us. Don't you think? How did Jesus put it? Unless one is born again. I think the NRV said if anyone would see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again. And, and so do you see here too this morning that this therefore must be a work of God. It's not something that you or I can control or produce. It's not something that we do. It's something that God does by his Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to give us new birth. Look at verse 6 to 8. Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You see what Jesus is saying? It's pretty obvious, right? Flesh is, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. It comes about by human activity. And so we have then pregnancy and 
delivery and we have birth. And so flesh gives birth to spirit. Spirit gives birth to spirit. It comes about by the spirit's activity. And so we have new birth. One gives us physical birth. The other gives us new birth or spiritual birth. In verse 7 and 8, um, Jesus kind of illustrates it for us, doesn't he? Just don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. And I don't, you probably don't pick it up here, but there's a deliberate play on words by John the Apostle here. Because the word for, for Spirit and the word for wind is the same word, pneuma, in the Greek language. And so it's clear what John's doing, right? He says, the wind blows where it wishes. You don't have any control over the wind. Have you tried to control the wind lately? You don't have, it blows wherever it wishes. You see what it does. Leaves start going everywhere. If it's a severe wind, well, you know, things start falling over. You see the outcome of the presence of the wind, you don't really know where it came from. You know, it might be a southwester, but how far south? And what, what's, at the, what's at the end of south? And you don't know where it's going necessarily, but you see its impact. It's the same with the Spirit of God. You don't control the Spirit of God. But you see where he's been. You see where he's been at work. You see fruit and change and life and light. Oh, you see new birth. Regeneration, friends, is a gracious work of God, the Holy Spirit, and it's a work we desperately need. For without it, according to the Lord Jesus, we cannot see or perceive or enter the kingdom of God. Now, I also want you to notice this morning that it's not a new idea. It's not something that Jesus just came up with all of a sudden. Notice what he says to Nicodemus in verse 9 and 10. Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? He still hasn't got it. He's still struggling to come to terms with it. He'll get there eventually by the work of the Spirit. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Strange question to ask him, right? He's right. He is the teacher of Israel. What's the assumption here? He should already know about this. This shouldn't be a shock to him, what Jesus is saying. Why? Because the prophet Ezekiel had spoken about it. God had promised and prophesied through Ezekiel that he was going to do a future work at some point. That would be along these lines. God says through the prophet Isaiah as he's restoring and and establishing his his idolatrous and defiled people, as he's as we're saving them, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you and I will remove the heart of stone that's unresponsive to God and his ways from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules or my laws, you could say. 
Notice in this prophecy who's, who's doing the action here. Who's doing this? It's God who's doing it. He's doing it by his spirit deep within the very core of his people. And notice how radical what he's doing is for them. What's he doing? He's, well, he's cleansing their defilement. He's reorientating their worship. He's cleansing them from their uncleanness and from all their idols. He's, he's reorientating their worship to him instead of idolatry. He's renewing their hearts. He's taking out the unresponsive, rebellious heart and giving them a heart that's responsive to him. He's indwelling them by his Holy Spirit. He's going to take up residence in them in order to change them and empower them and enable them to live completely different lives. Friends, notice that this is not a band-aid or a small problem. This is radical surgery. This is something that only God can do for us. This is not something we can bring about. It's never something that could ever be done by us. It has to be done for us. Jesus said, John 3, 7, do not marvel. Don't be surprised, I said. This is not new. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You must be born again. Firstly, this is our need, our need of regeneration. Now, one of our friends who's no longer attending here, but uh, they've moved to Rockingham, is uh, Gary Bird. And many of you know Gary, and many of you will know that this week Gary had surgery. And uh, it was a fairly significant operation. He kind of had to have this area of his chest sorted out and his diaphragm resorted and organs put back in the right places. He was telling me about it last weekend. Well, the weekend before. I don't know when your lunch was, but recently. And uh, it sounded a little bit frightening. And, you know, the doctor was like, oh, I don't, I'm a bit worried because I don't really want to nick certain organs, you know, while I'm in there and so on. And, uh, you know, Gary had to find the right surgeon who was going to do this and one who was actually prepared to give it a go. Uh, this wasn't the job for his local GP by any stretch of the imagination. There were significant risks with it. Praise God, it all went well, and unfortunately, he'll be back barracking for Collingwood in no time. <laughs> but who is able, who's able to do the deep surgery in the heart that you and I need? Who's going to do that? Who can remove our unresponsive heart and give us a heart that loves God? Who can give us new birth? Only God can do that. Only God can do that deep and radical work. He does. Jesus said you must be born again. Has that happened for you? Has that happened for you? Have you realised that your greatest need is not just more information about Jesus as important as that is? Your greatest need and my greatest need is to be saved by God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our greatest need. I wonder, has this truth landed for you? 
Here's one of the ways, or one of the effects that it'll have on you, if it has. You will realise you cannot produce this, and so you will come to God with nothing. Come to God with nothing. And you will look to him for everything. You won't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. You'll be slow to congratulate yourself on anything to do with godliness. You'll give God the glory and not steal it from him. Our need of regeneration is great, which leads us to the second thing I want us to see this morning, and that's God's grace in regeneration. And this is the Titus 3 passage. Titus 3 is where we see this. Uh, Notice that verse uh, 3 of Titus 3 points very clearly to where we were in our sins, And again, highlights our great need. Paul says we were once foolish, which doesn't have, doesn't, it's not about intelligence in the Bible, it's about belief and unbelief. To be foolish is to be unbelieving. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Unbelief. We were unbelieving, we were disobedient, we were rebellious towards God, we were slaves to passions and pleasures, driven along by every lust and desire that we had, things we wanted and must have. We were malicious and envious, hateful towards others and hated by others. It's not a pretty picture. We're in a bad way left to ourselves. Again, our need is great. But look at verse 4 through 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but how did he do it? According to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour. Look at the grace and mercy of God that's there. Remember last week, what's grace? It is the undeserved blessing or favour of God freely poured out on us through Jesus. But when the goodness and kindness of God appeared, how did it appear? Well, chapter 2, verse 11 tells you, it says, The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Jesus appeared. Jesus turned up. And he is so full of grace and truth that Paul has no problem with using that term for him. The grace of God appeared. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared, he Did what? He saved us. Remember Ezekiel? Who was doing all the action? It wasn't his people. It was God. And again, the same is true here. He saved us. On what basis did he save us? Well, certainly not because of anything we have done. Not because of righteous. Well, sorry, not because of works done by us in 
righteousness. It wasn't because of that. What was it based on then? But according to his mercy. Consistent with, in line with, flowing out of his mercy. Whether you know what mercy means, it's a bit of a hard one to kind of nail down, but it's this idea of help to the helpless, strength to the weak. While we were still weak, Romans 5 says Christ died for us. That's the picture of mercy, where you would reach down and lift someone out of a situation. He saved us not because of works done in righteousness by us, but according to his mercy. And how does he save us? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. How does he do it? By washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. What kind of washing is that? It's the washing of the very centre of our being, of our person, of who we truly are. It's to be cleansed and washed there. Nothing can get to that other than the merciful work of Jesus. By his Holy Spirit. Nothing can take that unrighteousness away. Nothing can take that shame away. Nothing can take that stain away other than to be washed and renewed at the core of who we are. And what's the, what's the instrument of the washing? You know, you go and do your washing this afternoon and you put it in the thing and you open it up and you put some stuff in there that you're going to wash it with. What's God washing us with? He's washing us with his Holy Spirit. Man. God's grace in regeneration. And not only that, but it involves the ongoing renewal of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration and renewal. So new life. Not just cleansing. Not just you know washed and tidied up. No, made new. Remember Ezekiel? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and Put a new spirit in you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you. And do notice, friends, in Titus that it all comes through Jesus. It all comes to us through Jesus. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus. And do notice that it's richly, abundantly. Pouring is the word that is used. Not sprinkling, not trickling, not flowing. 
pouring. That's the generosity of this grace. Now, I don't know where you were on Friday morning, but at our place there was some very heavy rain. Very heavy rain. 37 mils in a couple of hours. It was amazing. I thought we were back in the Kimberleys, but we weren't. It was abundant. It was pouring. It was, it was not just sprinkling. It was not just raining. It was bucketing. It was pouring. That's what we've got here, this salvation. Poured. Generous. It's abundant. It's prolific. To us who were dead in sin. God's grace. I wonder, do you see the grace of God in this to you? If you're a Christian here today, if you're truly born again, as Jesus said here today, this is what God has done for you and in your life through his Son by the power of his Spirit. That's what's happened. You didn't suddenly just wake up one day and think, you know what? I think I might be a Christian. And if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, but you become one, then this, is, this will be what God has done for you too. So has this truth landed for you? Here's a few ways you can tell. None of these are perfect, right? This is about the trajectory of your life, not perfection in your life. Okay? But if this truth is landing for you and keeps landing for you, then here's a few things that will probably happen in you. You will have joyful, deep praise within you to God. You will. You can't not (laughs) if it lands. You will have a heart, secondly, that wants to bring honour and glory to the God who would do that for you. He's so worthy of it. What did the woman say at the well? Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and see. You want to draw attention to him. You will also know that you are alive by the grace of God in Jesus. A work in progress, yes, but alive. Here's another one. You will pray for your children for a deep work of the Spirit of God in their lives through Jesus. Yes, you'll do all you can as a parent. But you'll also know that there's a line where what you can do stops and what only God can do starts. And you'll keep that in balance. You will see God's church differently. You will see it as a group of people, flawed people, play vessels, if you like, play pots, people made alive through Jesus. 
and continuing to be made alive. You will see people who are not yet Christians differently. You will not sit above them thinking how much better you are. You'll have compassion on people who don't yet know Jesus. And you'll want them to taste and experience the same new life that you have experienced through him. So, what should we do? What should we do to be saved? Jesus has made it clear, right, that there's a whole bunch of stuff here that only God can do. He has shown... Uh, Nicodemus, what God does in the lives of those who are born again. He has shown him and us that it's not something we can produce or achieve. He has shown uh, him and us how vital it is that we be born again to see and enter the kingdom of God. So what is Nicodemus to do? What are we to do? Does Jesus call him to do anything? Or does he just say, well, just sit back and wait and see what happens? No, he doesn't, does he? In John three fourteen to 16, I don't know that I've got it there. Yeah, I have got it there. Jesus continues this conversation. And he kind of turns to where Nicodemus needs to do something and respond. He says, as Moses was lifted up in the serpent in, uh, sorry, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See what Jesus is doing with Nicodemus? He's calling him to turn to Jesus and trust in Jesus. See, in salvation there is God's responsibility and that's his and there is ours. There is what only God can do in his sovereign grace and there is what he calls us to do in repentance and faith, which is what we're going to look more closely at next week. We are to repent and believe. We're to turn to Jesus and to trust in Jesus. Not to worry about, you know, oh, you know, am I going to be born again? Have I been born again? All those questions. We need to ask God to give us new life, but we need to turn to Jesus and trust in Jesus. Part of it, one area is God's work, one area is our responsibility, and we need to take care of our responsibility and not worry too much about God's work. Have you done that? Because of all that God has for us, including regeneration, as we've seen, comes to us through Jesus. So turn to him and put your trust in him. Don't put your trust in works of righteousness done by you. Put your trust in his mercy. Put your trust in Jesus who died for us as sinners atoning for our sin. God will pour out all this on us, on you, richly, through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Have you been born again? We'll finish with this. If not, come to Jesus in repentance and faith today.
Ask him to do this deep work that only he can do. If you have, come to Jesus in humble praise today. Thank him for his deep work in you by his Holy Spirit. And keep turning to him and keep trusting in him. Father, thank you so much that you are gracious, merciful and kind. You weren't indebted to us in any way, shape or form other than the wages of sin that we had earned, which is death. Thank you that when the goodness and kindness of God our Saviour the Lord Jesus appeared. You saved us. You. Not by our efforts, not by anything we could muster, not by us pulling up our socks and doing better, knowing more, but by your mercy. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for washing us. Thank you for renewing us. And Lord, mind-blowingly, thank you for indwelling us. That we might walk in your ways, that we might love you, that we might live for you, that we might glorify you, and that one day we might see you face to face. Father, help us to keep turning from sin turning from that which we would put in your place and help us to turn to you and trust in you each day. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.